So we are NLBC, New Life Base Camp. And John's Gospel in, in, in chapter 1, we read these amazing words. The word that is Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a gospel message for you right there in a little package. Jesus comes to our world and pitches his tent among us because we need to see for ourselves in flesh and blood what God looks like in person. And so Jesus has done that for us. He sets up base camp so that he can show us in person who he is. And as he does so, he teaches us to rest in the love of God the Father. God adopts us into his family and he calls us first and foremost to rest in him. So that's our first principle at New Life. We are people who take Sabbath rest seriously and will down tools and enjoy God just for who he is in our relationship with him. And then we breathe at base camp, don't we? We acclimatize. We breathe in the life of the Holy Spirit and he transforms us from the inside out, blessing us with his gifts and blessing us with his presence. He is the counselor, he is our guide, and he is the one who empowers us and he dwells within us. Jesus has promised never to leave us and his gift is the Holy Spirit of God in person. And then we start to pray as Steve was taking us through last week, the Lord's Prayer, and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got a task ahead and, and that task is to follow the King Jesus in bringing his kingdom from heaven to earth for all people. And then we start to prepare as Rob was teaching us a couple of weeks ago. We prepare as we start to follow Jesus and head in his direction towards the kingdom of heaven, giving glory to God, the one and only Son. And this morning, we come to go, we put our boots on, and we go. And here's a question for us this morning, a very simple question. What happens when we put our boots on and go? And so to help us think about that, we're going to hear from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28, and Liz Jordan is going to come and read that to us now. Thanks, Liz. Matthew chapter 28. That's the first book in the New Testament and the last chapter if you're looking for it in your Bible. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. 
They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Thanks, Liz. Just noticed when Liz was reading there, a meeting of the elders was called and they decided to give it a large bribe. Never noticed that before. <laughs> Just like to assure you that that's not what we do at church elders' meetings. So don't get your hopes up. We're going to focus in on that Great Commission, which Liz read to us so well there at the end of the chapter, when Jesus commissions his followers to go. And that's because base camp is not our permanent address. Jesus Christ is always on the move. Therefore, we should be on the move as well. Jesus has given us a green light to go. And this morning, I just want to lift out from the Great Commission six simple lessons we learn when we put our boots on and we go. So the first one is that we see Jesus. That's the first lesson. And it's right there in the chapter. The two Marys, when they took the time to go and be with Jesus at the tomb and keep vigil over Jesus, they saw Jesus alive and well. He was risen. And they had the privilege of being the first witnesses because they went. The other disciples didn't go and they didn't see this. But the two Marys did because they went and saw Jesus. And then when Jesus encountered them, he told them something. He said, go to Galilee with my disciples. If you go, I'll see you there. And when they got to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, all the disciples saw him together. Some people think this was the same hill that Jesus presented, the Sermon on the Mount. Some people think it was the Mount of Transfiguration. We don't know because we're not told but the point is, they went to that mountain where Jesus instructed them to go, and they saw Jesus. And that's the first simple lesson I want us to grasp 
when we follow Jesus' instruction to go, we see Jesus. And that's why we need to go. The reason for this is simply because Jesus is not dead. He is not decomposing in a tomb. He is alive and well and on the move, going before us everywhere we go. Jesus Christ is alive today. Isn't that good news? The resurrection is true and it's physical. God has raised his son Jesus from the dead and he calls us to respond by taking a step of faith in his direction. Jesus takes the initiative. He comes to us. He goes to the cross on our behalf. And then he calls us to respond by going in his direction. And when we do that, Jesus always meets with us, never fails. Before Jesus' ascension, he met with them in this story in person. After he had ascended to heaven, he meets with us, his disciples, today and then, in the person of his Holy Spirit. That was his promise to the disciples before he went away that he would not leave them on their own as orphans. I will come and I will be with you. I will send my Holy Spirit to be with you. Jesus meets us by his Spirit and our eyes are opened to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened next? Well, when we go, we also worship Jesus. When they saw him, it says, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm really glad that's in the Bible. I'm glad the Bible does not hide anything from us as followers of Jesus. It doesn't hide the struggles of God's people. And I think that gives the Bible a ring of truth. It's not perfectly designed and, and shaped to present a squeaky clean message of people who are perfect and sorted and have their lives just the way they should be. That's not how it is for followers of Jesus. The Bible has the ring of truth. And these doubters they weren't agnostics. They weren't sure if Jesus was who he said he was. These doubters were fully signed up followers of Jesus Christ. And yet they still had doubts. I think this reassures us when we have our own doubts. There is no rebuke recorded here from Jesus. He doesn't give them a hard time about it. He simply just carries on being exactly who he is. God the Son. And he leaves them to see for themselves, to decide for themselves whether they're going to worship him or go their own way. But when they do worship him, their fears and doubts are overcome. And that's because worship overcomes doubt. Worship overcomes our doubt. Isn't that what we discover when we open our Bibles and we turn to the wonderful book of Psalms, five books, 150 songs and prayers and poems of psalmists who struggled with God and had it out with God and yet worshipped God. God, where on earth are you? 
says the psalmist. Do you even care about my situation? That's what Psalm 13 says, Psalmist David, one of my favorite psalms. How long, O Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts? Will you forget me forever? What is going on? And yet we get to the end of this short psalm, and David is singing his praises. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he's been good to me. We've been singing it this morning. Our God is good to us in the midst of doubt, and so we will worship him so that we can overcome our fears and doubts. Time and time again, David discovered that when he got on with his God-given purpose, of worshipping the Lord, his doubts and fears were stilled. So if you're in a place of doubt or fear today, my advice to you, it comes straight out of the Bible and it is this, worship the Lord your God despite your doubts and fears and he will enable you to overcome them. So here's a simple lesson from worshipping Jesus. Don't wait until you have everything all figured out before you worship Jesus. Don't wait. Because if you do wait, you will never get round to it. And as a result, you will completely miss the purpose of your life. It is time in the midst of your doubt to get your boots on and join God's people at base camp and beyond, worshipping the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens next after they worship Jesus? Well, the next thing we discover is that we are authorized by Jesus. So what are we authorized to do? Well, it, it tells us right here in the text, we're authorized to go and make disciples of all the nations. This is the church's remit, the great commission of Jesus Christ. And Steve talked about this last week when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer. We pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the commission that Jesus passes on to us. He's the king, and he's the one who authorizes us to operate in his kingdom, sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone we meet. Through the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, he has been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. God has removed us from under the authority of the evil one and placed us under the authority of his dear son. And that is a much better place for us to live our lives. Our job is to just start living in the reality of God's kingdom of heaven here on earth. Because we have Jesus' authority to do that, witnessing to a different way of life, taking off our old boots, our old way of life, and putting on the boots of the gospel of peace, those boots that Paul refers to in the book of Ephesians. We have to get our boots on because we have this gospel of peace, God's shalom peace that is such good news for everyone inviting people to come and join us under the authority of Jesus Christ, empowered by his Spirit to live out our lives with the fruit of the Spirit, blessing everyone we encounter. Our culture tells us not to do that. 
Don't proselytize. You keep your faith to yourself, but don't impose it on everyone else. But you know, as Christians, we simply cannot agree to privatize our faith when our Lord Jesus Christ has told us to publicize it. That's our choice. And we must follow Jesus. Not to ram it down people's throats, because God has given everyone free will. But we have to get our boots on and share it because it is such good news. And it brings the peace of God into people's hearts and into the heart of our world. And God knows our world is crying out for the peace of God. So here's the simple lesson in terms of being authorized by Jesus. And we take our lesson this morning from the persecuted church. And it is simply this. We are not going to stop talking about Jesus and what he has done for us. Because it is such good news. We believe it is good news for everyone. And we are just going to simply keep talking about what Jesus has done for us raising a prayer flag for the church of Jesus Christ. You probably know that there was a bunch of flags up here that have been there for years. Uh, we decided to refresh them, and here they are as of this week. And what we've done is we've decided to take a stand with Open Doors. We are a partner church for Open Doors. And the eight flags you see are the countries where the church is most persecuted in our world. And that means we're flying the North Korean flag right along here at the end. That first flag with a star on it is the flag of North Korea. And by flying that flag, we're saying we are praying for the Christians in North Korea that God will bless them. And then the next flag is Afghanistan, then Somalia, and then Libya, and then Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, and Yemen. And as we go into this year, we're going to use these flags to pray for these countries because the Christians in these countries just simply refuse to stop talking about Jesus. And many of them are losing their lives for that. They're being thrown into prison for that. They're having their possessions taken off them. But they will not stop talking about Jesus. And it is our job as the church here in Northallerton to stand with them in solidarity and keep praying for them. Jesus says to you and me today, don't be afraid of what people can do to you. I'm in charge. Just go and make disciples. I'm sending you out in twos and threes to call people to repent, turn around, and follow me. I want you to pray for people. I want you to heal them. I want you to restore them. I want you to help them get back on their feet and give them a pair of gospel boots to follow me. That's our calling. We are authorized by Jesus and we must go. Wherever it is, it might be the living rooms, it might be reaching out to our Syrian friends who live in this town, it might be reaching out to people in the new housing, it might be going to your neighbor, it might be going to Ghana or Romania or going with open doors, whatever it is, it might be your workplace, your colleagues, Jesus calls you to go and be a follower of Jesus and just simply give witness to the truth that Jesus has transformed your life. So what happens next when we've done that? Well, we baptize followers of Jesus. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
So what's that all about? That strange thing we do here at church every so often, we put our tank up here, we fill it with water, and we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's going on there is that we're welcoming people into the family of God, where God their Father beams his delight on his adopted sons and daughters. And Jesus the Son redeems their lives from darkness to light. And the Holy Spirit fills them and empowers them with his beautiful presence along the way. You know, often I hear preachers saying that baptism is just a sign. It is not just a sign. It is far more than that. Yes, it is a sign. Yes, it is a witness. But it is also an opportunity for us to encounter the living God and be filled afresh with his Holy Spirit who came to live within us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. This is the covenant life Jesus wants to immerse us in. It is not the easiest life, but it is the best life, and it comes with the greatest reward. We are adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters, and we have an internal inheritance from God our Father, and it's simply this, all that he has is ours as his children, and that is literally everything. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've not been baptized, then Jesus' promise to you today is that if you make this commitment to follow him, he will be with you. Maybe you don't like being the center of attention. I understand that. Jesus says to you today, it is okay. I will enable you to do this. I will be with you. Follow me by getting baptized, and you won't regret it. If you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, then Jesus makes the same promise to you today. If you make this commitment to follow me and get baptized, I will be with you. I died on the cross for you. I rose again to a new life for you, and I will never leave you. Repent, turn around, get baptized, and follow me. That's what that picture was about this morning, as someone walking to the cross with a bit of elastic on their backs. Allow the Lord, by his Spirit, just to cut that tie. Get yourself baptized. Come and see me after the service, or speak to Steve, or speak to a Christian you know at this church, and we can tell you more about what that means and how that happens. So here's the simple lesson. Baptism is an act of confession which says, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. Let's be making that confession here at New Life. So what happens next? Well, we simply teach the way of Jesus. Jesus says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. They were just to take what Jesus had taught them and pass it on to other followers that they would call, that Jesus would call. And here in Christ's Great Commission, we have a beautiful link to the greatest commandment, which we read about earlier in the New Testament. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, when asked to sum up the law, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets 
are based on these two commandments. Mark Greenhead of LICC calls it the greatest idea in the world. And he's right. Imagine that all the commandments that God has given us are summed up in these few verses that Jesus has given to us. The greatest commandment, to love God and love your neighbor. That's what we have to teach here at New Life. Rick Warren, church leader in America, when asked about church strategy and vision, always gives the same answer, and I've heard him say it a number of times. He says, just do this. Teach the great commandment and the great commission. Put these two things together, and you can't go wrong. Love God, love your neighbor, and go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. That's our mission at New Life. We are called to be like Jesus. And we have to take the love of God and share it with our neighbor. We have to get out there and make disciples. This is good advice. In our complex and yet shallow world, people are crying out for simplicity and depth. We need simplicity, but we need depth. Our culture cannot offer us that because this is the way of Jesus Christ. Only he can give us that. It is the way to a beautifully simple life with endless depth. Jesus sent his followers out in little groups of twos to do this. Very quickly, he said, off you go, do what I've been doing. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead. And as they went, learning as they went to love God and love their neighbors, blessing them, healing them, encouraging them to come and join them and follow Jesus. Then they reported back to base camp with amazing stories of God's miracle work in people's lives. That's why we're putting such a great emphasis here in our church on mentoring, on two Christians just getting together and going to do gospel work together and praying together and learning from God's word together. Because when we're on our own, It's hard, but when there's two or three of us gathered together, God's there with us, and we can encourage each other. So here's a simple lesson we are learning at New Life. We learn the way of Jesus as we go. It's on-the-job training. Yes, gathered in a setting like this is important, but we have to take what we learn here out the door together. On-the-job training Wherever God sends us, applying the great command and the great commission, loving God, loving our neighbor, making disciples of Jesus, applying it to the people around us, sharing it with the people around us, living our lives as witnesses to the truth that Jesus transforms lives. So what happens next? Well, lastly, simply, we become inseparable from Jesus. Isn't that great? The last words of Matthew's gospel which Liz read to us, Jesus says, and be sure, be sure of this. I am with you always. I am. This is God speaking. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's still to come. So Jesus is still with us. Ever since Jesus came and pitched his tent among us, he has been with us. The history of the church testifies to that truth for the last 2,000 years. It's a promise which he has always kept and always will keep. He kept it when he was physically here on earth, 
and then with his disciples by his Holy Spirit, now poured out on all people post-Pentecost in all ages, including our own, until Jesus returns in person. And later on, after Jesus' ascension to heaven, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, confirming from his own experience that what Jesus said is true. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's making a point by continually repeating it. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. We are inseparable from Jesus. Not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. And so the simple lesson for us here is that Jesus is with us everywhere we go. All we have to do is go. And as we go, we see Jesus at work. We worship Jesus in the midst of our doubt. We are authorized by Jesus to make other disciples. And then we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach one another the way of Jesus. And we are then inseparable from Jesus until the end. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for your green light. We hear your words, therefore go. Lord, help us this week and the week ahead to go in step with your Holy Spirit, that we might see you, Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us wherever we go. Help us to worship you with all of our lives, Lord Jesus, wherever we go. Help us to trust in your authority over our lives and our world wherever we go. And help us to baptize followers of Jesus in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wherever you send us. And help us to teach the way of Jesus, loving God, loving our neighbor, and going with the good news of the gospel. And as we do so, Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, come now, Holy Spirit, fill our lives. We thank you that you have birthed the kingdom life of heaven in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will empower us, accompany us, guide us, and send us out from here with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Next Sunday, Roy Sell is going to just lead us in a review of what we've been teaching through over the last five weeks. We're going to be thinking together and discussing together what this means, what we've been learning, and what it means for us to get our boots on and go.